everybody, welcome to your weekly sermon from Brad Tuttle Ministries. I am so glad you decided to join me today. We are going to continue on in our series that we've been covering here over the last several weeks. Uh, this is a series that uh, I think is really exciting, uh, this topic of the Holy Spirit. The series title that we are in is Who is the Holy Spirit? This is actually the sixth message in this sermon series on the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, misconceptions about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about who is the Holy Spirit on the very first one. We've also talked about spiritual language last week, which I had a lot of comments on about people who said that they've never heard it explained so uh, simply and clearly. Um, Today we're going to talk about something that I think is another really obviously another very important topic that uh, sometimes is uh, not, people don't, they either sometimes stay away from it or they, they uh, uh, look at it differently. But what we're going to talk about today, so the title of our sermon today is The Beauty of Spiritual Gifts. So this will be, I'll call it part one because we're probably going to be doing uh, three, two or at least two or three sermons just on the spiritual gifts because I don't want to uh, rush through this because it's a really important topic that we need to really nail down and, and get down inside of us and on our hearts to know uh, what we believe about this because we want to be operating in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the power source. And we want to be able to move in our spiritual language, which is our ability to in our private devotional life to edify ourselves and to bring um, another aspect of worship into our lives between us and the Lord. But then this whole aspect of spiritual gifts, there's several lists, we're going to talk about that, uh, where the Holy Spirit brings gifts. The moment we are converted, we are given gifts. Um, and we're going to talk about that as well. But I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12 verses 1 through 11, the beauty of spiritual gifts, all right? So get your Bible out and read along with me, okay? So here we go. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He wrote this letter to the church uh, for a specific reason, but let's read these first. Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, or some versions say brethren, I do not want you to be unaware you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the, same, by, by the one Spirit. Verse 10, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. 
verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. It, this is the Holy Spirit's doing. Um, again, I want to say that I don't want to rush through this. We need to really understand this. We're going to be talking out of those 11 verses. We're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 7. I didn't want to rush through 1 through 7 to get to the actual gifts. I want to set the stage here in this sermon today, and then we will deal with the gifts the next couple sermons. Um, but there's something very important about these first seven service, uh, scripture verses because this is where the Apostle Paul is trying to set the church straight. The Corinthian church obviously was having a problem here uh, with the spiritual gifts, and he's trying to set them straight on how these gifts are to be properly used in the church. He's trying to set these spiritual gifts in the proper context. So understand something. It was Paul's idea to talk about the, the spiritual gifts. Well, it was the Holy Spirit who inspired him, but Paul gave more space and more verses to the issue of spiritual gifts than any other problem in the Corinthian church. And apparently the Corinthian church had a lot of different problems. Uh, they had misunderstood the way the Holy Spirit works through individuals. They abused the use of spiritual gifts. Apparently, they regarded them in ends, as ends in themselves, which they are not. They are, they are to be used for service to others to help build up the church. Uh, in particular, they misunderstood the proper public use of the gift of tongues, and it often caused uh, disorder in their meetings. And they also misunderstood the power of the Spirit, viewing the gift of operations as a compulsive possession, negating the will. So Paul, Paul responds to this problem by showing the need for varied and multiple manifestations of the Spirit. He responds to this problem by showing the need for loving and unselfish motives in these manifestations. Just read 1 Corinthians 13. Because right in the middle of all the spiritual gifting, he throws us chapter 13, which is the love chapter, but he's saying the most important thing of all is love. So even the way you deal with spiritual gifts has got to be done, done out of love and you do it in the right way. And lastly, Paul responds to this problem by, and the need for self-control and for keeping in an orderly, edifying manner in corporate services. Apparently they were uh, taking these, the more, the more, I guess, outward gifts, the more showy gifts, as you would say, they were kind of abusing them. Uh, their service was, services were getting out of order, and he's trying to help the church. He wrote this letter to help them, to get them where they need to be so they could be a more effective church. Thank God for Apostle Paul, who had a heart for discipling people and to keep people in line with the Word of God. So verse 1, focusing on the verses, set, verses 1 through 7, says, now, spiritual gift, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, or brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. So Paul's using brethren or brothers and sisters to refer to those people at the Corinthian church who were genuine believers. And that fits the context because only a true believer can possess spiritual gifts. So obviously he's dealing with believers in the Corinthian church. He says, I do not want you to be unaware. It's another way of saying, I want you to know about spiritual gifts. I want you to have an intimate experiential knowledge of these spiritual gifts. He mentions about 20 different gifts in four different lists. The, the, the verses we just read list nine, 
but all together in the different areas, he lists 20 separate spiritual gifts. Uh, one other place that he mentions it is Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Uh, he speaks here of the gifts in a general way, and it says this, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the por- proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we have these other gifts that aren't listed in the li- in the list uh, the group in uh, chapter twelve, where you have the gift uh, spiritual gift of exhortation, the spiritual gift of service, the spiritual gift of giving, uh, of li- uh, of leadership, and of showing mercy. You hear another aspect, another section of spiritual gifts in Ephesians chapter four. Verses 11 and 12, in which he deals with the gifts that most further the unity of the body of Christ. And it says there, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for works of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. That was the point. That's the point of spiritual gifts. That's why the Holy Spirit gave them to us. They're not an end in themselves. They are to be used for service unto others and the building up of the church. That's very important to understand. Another section of verses Paul uses, or actually for, uh, he uses, Peter does, in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, Peter here emphasizes the service the gifts render. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employing it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Again, and then the total focus of all this is pointing always to Jesus Christ. Another place is in 1 Corinthians 12, farther down in the chapter that we're in, in in verses 28 and 30. And Paul here is concerned with an order of importance. And he writes this again, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Verse 29, all All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Now that right there, they're talking about the public use of tongues. Um, So these are the sections in where we find the different spiritual gifts. Again, in our passage, in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, the gifts that are listed there that we read... um, He's speaking of what you call the more spectacular, extraordinary gifts or manifestations of the Spirit, because these were the ones that were really greatly abused by the Corinthians, because people get in the midst of all this. It's supposed to be, remember, everything the Holy Spirit does is perfection. It's people that get in the middle of it and mess stuff up, and that's just the way it is. Spiritual gifts are, this is very important to understand, they are supernatural rather than natural talents like someone who, someone who has a gift for music or art. Um, they are our own to use as we like for good or evil, those natural talents. 
Um, so the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, as well as other verses we just read, they are supernatural manifestations of the Spirit. Isn't that awesome? So we've been given gifts to use, supernatural gifts to use, that will help build up and affect the body of Christ, that will edify and glorify the Lord as well. And these gifts only operate according to God's will as the Spirit gives utterance. Very important to hear that too. Our will to use them depends on His will and His timing. The Holy Spirit gives each Christian one or more gifts as He wills. You can't choose them. He gives them to you as He wills. It's His will. The purpose of the gifts include the common good for the whole church, the proper functioning of the body of Christ, edification, and the confirmation of the preached word. So we're, we're seeing that these spiritual gifts are important for all of us to operate in because um, every believer needs the contribution of every other member of the body of Christ to be using their spiritual gifts appropriately. And as we all work together uh, within the body of Christ, it helps build up the body, edify the body, build it up, and makes it more effective for the kingdom of God. So we go into verse 2. He says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb or mute idols, however you were led. I put another version that says it this way. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So now he's going to talk to them about the way they used to live before Christ. That phrase, you know, in other words, he's saying, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you were pagans, in other words, when you weren't saved, and the majority of the Corinthians had been Gentiles, they were not converted. Uh, he's talking about them pre-conversion. Uh, the basic fact that these were former Gentiles, it, it needs to bear in mind uh, the connection with the subject of spiritual gifts and their proper use, that in their former life, in their former life before they came to Christ, every spiritual manifestation was literally unknown to them. Literally unknown. God has made known to them, all of them, that they have what spiritual gifts are and that they are available to them. All they knew were dumb, mute idols. <laughs> That's dumb, mute idols. Paul places dumb in contrast with the Holy Spirit. Hey, I was one of those guys before Christ. All I did was follow after dumb, mute idols. Um, and it says you were led astray, but the Greek were led there, that verb means continually being. So you were continually being led astray to the mute idols, however you were continually led. And as people have said before that God made man with a God-shaped vacuum, and if it's not filled with the true God, it will be filled with false gods. So whether you realize it or not, before you came to Christ, you served false gods. Whew, amen? Powerful stuff. He says, you were led astray. That's in the present tense in the Greek. And it's in what we call the passive voice. It means the influence um, or power was from without, which could have been their fallen flesh or it could have been demonic influences, indicating that these pagans continually were being led into false worship of gods, which actually were no gods, and which behind them were demonic spirits. Spirits. That's the way we lived our lives. That's the way he's explaining and showing them the way their life was before they came to Christ. 
They were led. Apagao in the Greek has the idea of being led away by force rather than by persuasion and was often used to describe prisoners being taken away to prison or execution. Wow. So you talk about bondage and the futility of godless of, of the godless people of this world, and that can be our family members, that can be our neighbors, that can be our friends, who were and are in essence captives of sin and Satan. He's making it very clear to them, before you came to Christ, you guys were serving mute, dumb idols. You were being led away. You were being forced away to serve these little G gods that really aren't any God at all. They're just demonic influences. So their lives, our lives, before they were brought by the Spirit to Christ, were tragically nothing, as Ecclesiastes says, nothing but vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. That's what a life is like without Christ. Vanity and striving after wind. You never can grasp the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Without serving Christ, our life has no profit under the sun. When we come to faith in Christ, that's when God gives us his purpose, and then our life truly does have meaning. So formerly, most of these Gentiles had gone to this point. They actually had eaten things sacrificed to idols as an act of worship. Remember, they are dumb. I don't say they're dumb people, but they're following after dumb idols. Well, we were dumb to allow ourselves to be led. We didn't know any different, but we were being led by demonic influences. So he says, however you were led, and that conveys the idea that they had no choice in the matter. They were helplessly led at any time by those who had them in hand. That's the way you were, that's the way I was before we came to Christ. By leading the Corinthians to dumb idols, their religion led them away. It misled them, it um, deceived them. Unbelievers think they're free. Unbelievers think they are free, but they are deceived unknowingly, as it says in Titus 3.3, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures enslaved. That's what a life looks like without Christ. That's what a life looks like without Christ. Amen. Thank God Jesus had a plan. He came and died for us that we could be converted and we could no longer live like that, right? That we could live and serve the true and living God. So let me say amen out there. Tragically, though, many of these Corinthian Christians had fallen back into some of their old idolatrous beliefs and practices. So what happened is they now can no longer distinguish between uh, the work of God's spirit from that of demonic spirits. Sad, right? Uh, they could no longer distinguish God's true spiritual gifts from Satan's counterfeits. And they could no longer distinguish true worship of God from the perverted worship of idols. That's a sad place for you to allow yourself to back into as someone who's been gloriously born again to allow yourselves to fall into those kind of things. So in verse 3, he goes on to say, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Let me read that to you in another version and make that a little bit more clear. This version says, so I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. 
So you, in other words, you know, you know those who are truly moving in the Spirit of God, who are truly using spiritual gifts the proper way. It says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So in these two verses, Paul is introducing these very important guiding principles that distinguish the ways of the Holy Spirit. One is the principle of conscious control. Unlike paganism, the power of the Holy Spirit, hear this, does not drive people into wild, compulsive acts. He has a gentle, dove-like ministry that strengthens human personality. He empowers. He does not overpower. And I could go into a, an hour of the things that I've seen that are said to be of the Spirit that were literally wild, compulsive Acts because people get in the middle of it and they ruin the beauty of perfection of the spirit in all things and regarding this spiritual gifts and they get into it and they they turn it into something that it's not supposed to be. Paul's trying to help them with this. This he's also trying to help you with this because he's given it to me to teach it to you so that you can get this right in your own understanding as well. Another guiding principle uh, that distinguishes the ways of the Holy Spirit is the principle that Christ is glorified. All true manifestations of the Spirit will harmonize with truth about Jesus. So then when you come to these things like wild compulsive acts not being a true manifestation and they don't harmonize the truth about Jesus. The third guiding principle that distinguishes the ways of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote, is the principle of credo-faith. In other words, the main work of the Holy Spirit is to bring people under the lordship of Jesus. So even the spiritual gifts are supposed to work in a way, publicly within a church or a church service, in a way that is very... Um, it opens the eyes of any unbeliever there because if the gifts are being done in the church in a proper way, they will point people to Christ who can then now come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So now you're seeing why he's trying to guide them in this way because that's the importance of spiritual gifts to build up the body, but it not only helps build up those within the body, exhorts them, edifies them, but it also will affect those who come into church who are unsaved if the gifts are held and, and handled correctly within that church service. They play a great role in opening the eyes of unbelievers to the glory of Almighty God, to the power of God. He goes on to say, no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And, and literally, nothing should have been more logical and obvious, but the Corinthians had come to judge this, get this, they had come to judge the nature and use of gifts based on their experience rather than true content. The more impressive, showy, unusual and bizarre, the more a practice was accepted and respected. Again, I've been in this church game for 30 years. I got saved in 1985 and I've been around all of anything you could imagine seeing people doing in the name of the Holy Spirit. And it's true. People get impressed more. You know, you don't ever hear people talking about this person has a gift of service 
or this person has a gift of helping the needy, those, those that are in need, or this person has a gift of mercy. You hear about all the other showy gifts and everybody wants to have and say they have all the showy gifts and put by their name, they're a prophet or they're an apostle or whatever. But um, the so-called impressive, showy, unusual, bizarre, the, the, the more uh, they were more accepted and they were more respected. So the, these guys in, in the Corinthian church had fallen back deeply into ecstasy and enthusiasm that their judgment was now completely warped. And if it took place in the church, hear this, I wrote this comment down. If it took place in the church and was presented by someone who claimed to be a Christian, any teaching or practice was accepted without question. And we see that a lot in the church today. Anybody can stand up and say they're a prophet, they're an apostle, they're whatever, there's great pastor, this whatever, great teacher. Um, and if it takes place in a church and they claim it and they can stand up there, then whatever they say is accepted without question. Whatever gift and however they operate in it, however it is, it is accepted without question. Content was ignored as well as it being ignored today, even to the extent of disregarding that which was, which was obviously immoral and blasphemous. And that does nothing but weaken the church. It pushes people away from wanting to be a part of a church that operates in the spiritual gifts. I think it causes some churches led by their pastor who doesn't want to go there because he's seen stuff himself, uh, you know, compulsive, wild compulsive acts um, in the name of the spirit. And he doesn't want to go there. So then his people don't get the benefit from understanding about the baptism and spiritual language and the spiritual gifts operating uh, in a church service. And when it's, because when it's done in order, it's a beautiful thing. It's perfection because it is the Holy Spirit and lives are changed. That's why this is so, so, so important. Verse four, it says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So while Paul doesn't specifically state this here, I would think that in, there's no doubt in the 18 months he was in Corinth that he had taught these guys already about spiritual gifts uh, because this kind of knowledge would be crucial to them for the building up of the body by the Spirit. Again, he obviously taught them, but then they forgot it or he would leave or he wasn't there, then they would take it and run off and you know, some, some cuckoo bird would come in and say, he's, you know, of God and he's this great teacher and he teaches all this crazy stuff and he acts in these spiritual gifts manifests wrong ways and then they think it's all of God because this guy must be a real man of God. And then the church gets all messed up and it gets weak and it gets ineffective again. Um, so they had forgotten, largely forgotten the vital truths, which resulted, began to result in perversion and confusion within the church. So listen, Paul doesn't, he has such a compassion for the church for as an evangelist, as a missionary, and someone who disciples people. He wanted this church, he wants the churches that he was over, that he dealt with, to be in proper order because he knew how effective that could make them if they were. So he tried to wrangle these people back in, corral them back in to understand the truth. So we see this phrase, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. 
In other words, the same spirit is the source of all of the varieties of different gifts. This word but here is a term of contrast which highlights the different gifts, but the unified source. They all come from the spirit. So the beautiful thing is while there is diversity, there's also unity because all gifts are from the same spirit who energizes unity and enables edification of the body. Hallelujah. As Paul says in Ephesians 4.4, there is one body and one spirit. In other words, Paul is emphasizing here with the word varieties, uh, the fact that there is a variety and a diversity in the gifts, ministries, and effects, but there is only one source. And when it truly comes from the Spirit, it is perfection. The Holy Spirit, one purpose, and that one purpose is to edify the church. And edification is more than, it's more than encouragement. It includes any activity that results in more Christ-likeness either in oneself or in another believer. We are given gifts to not go to the circus and use our gifts to <laughs> in some tent where people come in and want to pay money and we act like a weirdo. We are given gifts to be used to build up the body of Christ. Yes, the body becomes encouraged, but the body becomes more, each individual and the body becomes more Christ-like. And when the gifts are done the proper way in perfection, that's what it does. It encourages, it builds up, it edifies, it makes the church more Christ-like, not filled with perversion and confusion, but it makes the church more Christ-like, again, if they're done in the proper way. And through the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about all of that. And these Corinthians, they considered the more spectacular gifts, as people would, who are off base, as more important. And Paul's making it clear from the outset that they are all, every gift is important. Whether you are someone who prophesies or you are someone who uh, gives a word a, 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 uh, in tongues and then you're, someone interprets that or you interpret it or or you, however, they're all important. The one that encourages is important. The one that's a giver is important. That's a gift. The one that um, has mercy, shows mercy to other people. The one who leads properly, those are all gifts. For they all originate from the same Holy Spirit, and all of them are necessary for edification. Remember, edification is not just encouragement, but it is building up. It's any activity that results in more Christ-likeness, edification. Peter himself summarizes the two general varieties of spiritual gifts, speaking gifts and serving gifts in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Again, the gifts are not for self, but they're for serving others. Verse 11, whoever speaks is to do, one as, do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. One commentator said, The Spirit gives gifts or capacities for spiritual ministry to believers to express and strengthen the unity they have in their Lord Jesus Christ. 
But misuse of those gifts shatters unity, divides believers, ruins their testimony before the world, and short-circuits their growth and effectiveness in the Lord's service. And I have seen a lot of people who have got into these weird, compulsive, uh, ungodly acts and name it in, and, and try to t- attach it to the Holy Spirit who have, they have ruined their testimony and they have driven people, people literally have run from that. And now they go, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. And that's a shame because they need to be a part of it and allow it to activate in their lives. But again, people get into this and abuse it. So let me stress this point again. Spiritual gifts are not talents. Natural talents, skills, and abilities are granted to us by God um, because everything good and worthwhile is a gift from him. But those things are natural abilities. They're shared by believer and unbeliever alike. So both the believer and the unbeliever have natural abilities. An unbeliever can be a highly skilled artist or musician. An atheist or an agnostic can be a great scientist, a carpenter, an athlete, or a cook. If a Christian excels in such abilities, it has nothing to do with his salvation. Though he can use those natural talents um, quite differently after he's saved, but he possessed them before he became a Christian. We're not talking about natural talents. We're talking about spiritual gifts. They come only as a result of salvation. Spiritual gifts, however, they are not natural, but rather supernaturally given by the Holy Spirit only and always to believers in Jesus Christ without exception. Spiritual gifts are special capacities bestowed on believers, again, to equip them to minister supernaturally to each other. Consequently, if those gifts are not being used, and that's a shame, or not being used rightly, the body of Christ cannot be the corporate manifestation of its head, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the work of God is hindered. So you can also not only abuse the gifts, but you cannot use the gifts. And I hope this sermon series really stirs up some of you to begin to desire to move in your spiritual gifts again, that you hunger for that and you pray for that and you draw close to God and and let yourself be immersed in in the baptism of Holy, let the Holy Spirit just dunk you in his power and these gifts would begin to come forth from you and you would be an enhancement to the body of Christ because you're now getting in the game. You're now getting off the bench and using your spiritual gifts, those gifts that God has given to you. Let me tell you something, the devil hates that. Uh, but you need to get in the game and start doing that. R.A. Torrey wrote in his book, The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit. He said, not infrequently, the Holy Spirit takes the one who seems to give the least natural promise and uses him far beyond those who give the greatest natural promise. Christian life is not to be lived in the realm of natural temperament, and Christian work is not to be done in the power of natural talent. But Christian life is to be lived in the realm of the Spirit, and Christian work is to be done on the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul, this just popped into my head right here. Paul said, I don't want to preach with persuasive words of wisdom. He wanted to do with a demonstration of the power and the Spirit, and that's what I see in in what he's saying here. Um, 
I just don't want to do this out of my reason and my logic and my intelligence or my ability to study and write something down. I want to do this and I want to preach and I want to do the things I do in the, with a demonstration of the power and the spirit. So now we come to verse five and it says, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. In other words, the point of this passage is that one spiritual gift can be used in a varieties of ministries. Again, it says the same Lord. So it's all coming into unity. Verse six says there are varieties of effects, but the same God, again, it talks about the spirit, the, uh, the Lord and God who works all things in all persons. The Trinity is coming into view here and they're operating in unity and they want unity within the body, exercising these spiritual gifts properly. So let's look at this word effects. There are, there are varieties of effects. The word effects here describes the results of the supernatural energy of God in the believer. Hallelujah. In the phrase, God who works, Paul's saying that it is God who exerts effective, energetic, supernatural power in all believers. Man, all you got to do is make a decision to get in on all this and let God use you. He will supply the effective, energetic, supernatural power in your life that you might accomplish everything that God has called you to accomplish. Listen, time is short. We don't know, you know what's happening. We need to get busy and we need to get busy being used to be a blessing to the building up of the kingdom of God, to the building up of the body of Christ. In using the adjective all here in this verse, uh, the rise of exit, but God who works all things and all persons, Paul's saying in essence that no believer can exhibit these effects or these outworkings without the supernatural working of God. Again, the Holy Spirit does everything with perfection. Um, this also points out that the exercise of our gift does not always produce the same effect. Quote, God's people and God's gifts are like snowflakes. No two are exactly alike. So we all have different personalities. We're all used in different ways. So the gifts have, our, whatever gifts we're using can have a different effect coming from us than it might from somebody else, but they're all used in unity and to be done properly. And lastly, in verse seven, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, Paul seems sometimes to repeat himself, but he is trying to emphatically make points here. This has to be done properly for the edifying of the body of Christ. Otherwise, it causes dis a disruption, it causes confusion, and it, ha it hinders and, and, and damages the body of Christ. So he's saying each one means each and every believer, so no believer is left out. Note the fact that each one is given stresses diversity because the believers are all different personalities. And don't miss the word given here because it indicates that these, these are gifts that we receive, not gifts we merit, earn, or deserve. You don't deserve them. You haven't done anything to merit them. You haven't done anything to earn them. These are gifts that you receive from the Holy Spirit that are giving, that are given to you. Point at yourself and say, they're given to me. They're given to you. They're gifts of God's amazing grace. And it doesn't specifically state it here, but clearly these gifts, in effect, they cannot then be refused. You can refuse to exercise them or we can, we can misuse them. But when we become believers, we are given these gifts. 
Well, that's exciting, man. I want to be used. I want to be used in all the very exciting ways that the Lord can use us. Amen. And at the end of this verse, again, Paul explains why the gifts were given to each one, and that is for the spiritual benefit of all believers, or in other words, the common good. And the idea of common good is for the spiritual benefit or the profit of everyone in the body of Christ. One commentator said spiritual gifts are to be edifying and helpful to the church, to God's people whom he brings together in his name. Not only does the exercise of our spiritual gifts minister to others, but it also helps them to better use their own gifts. Amen. So as we move to a close, um, the gifts of the Spirit do not confirm anybody's methods. And some of you are immediately got hold of what I was saying. Some of you will learn a little bit later in your walk with Christ. The gifts of the Spirit do not confirm anybody's methods. The gifts operate by faith in God, not faith in a specific theory. They are not channeled through any doctrine except that of redemption, and the Holy Spirit only glorifies the crucified Christ. There is only one secret, and that is faith. Gifts come with opportunity. They are issued to workers as they clock in at the door. You ought to be getting up every morning and spending your time in prayer and clocking in to get to work for the kingdom of God. There will be opportunities for you to use your spiritual gifts. Just like modern technology, God's work needs specialized equipment, but it is found on the job. As you step out, as you step out to do God is you go go witness to somebody. I know you're going to you're fearful, you're you're scared to do it. They're going to reject you. They're going to say, "Yeah, you're crazy, man." You know, just go do it and watch the Holy Spirit come on you and start to move through you in power and begin to give you the words to say. He'll begin to manifest himself in your life so that now your words become powerfully effective in that unbeliever's heart. That's what happened. That's what we have to do. Get out there and use your giftings that God, so, so the Spirit of God can operate through you, clock in at the door, and open and walk through the God-given opportunities that God has for you. Let me give you a good example. The need of a healing gift arises when we're moved by the plight of people who suffer. That is when the gift really operates. Jesus, if you ever read the, the, uh, the, um, the Gospels, he was always moved with compassion for those who were sick. I wrote down this quote, when your stomach turns over and you have to blink tears away at the sight of people, miserable and depressed with afflictions and ailments, go ahead, God will give you all you need for that situation. Another, amen? So it's, it's a moving... My wife's like that, that moving of compassion. I, I'm like that. I don't want to see people hurting when I hear friends of mine they have bad backs or they're going through, you know, I don't want to be sick and I don't want them to be sick. So there's that compassion aspect that when we pray for people, we really want them to get well because we have compassion on what they're going through. Gifts don't come secondhand. And this is very important to know. Gifts are given solely on the prerogative of the Spirit to bestow them on us. In other words, I, I know people who have presumed to give gifts to other believers. Lay your hands on me. Give me your gift or give me a gift. But this has always led to disappointment because miracle powers have never followed. 
I have not heard of any outstanding ministry produced by attempts at transference. These are given to, to us solely by the Holy Spirit. When there's faith and true desire in our heart, a true gift may be bestowed by the Spirit at any time. But be assured, while the Spirit completely ignores the pretentious giftings of the will of men, he does not exhort, ignore true openness and prayer. God will give you whatever you need when you obey his call to service. Amen. Let me close with this little illustration. A well-known coach was once asked, how much does college football contribute to the national physical fitness picture? Nothing, the coach replied, replied abruptly. Why not, the startled interviewer asked. Well, said the coach, the way I see it, you have 22 men down on the field desperately needing a rest and 40,000 people in the stands desperately needing some exercise. A similar situation exists in many churches today. When you compare the members, hear this, who merely attend with those who actively participate, you often find a rather pathetic situation. It's not unusual to have a small group of diligent Christian workers struggling down on the field while others in the congregation are acting like spectators sitting on the sidelines eating hot dogs and popcorn. He said, God's strategy for the accomplishment of his program is not like a sports event. It does not call for the job to be done only by professionals. Every one of you has been given a gift or gifts of the Spirit for you to operate in that will affect the body of Christ to build it up. This went on to say, in the game of life, all believers have their own positions and spiritual gifts that they must exercise for the profit of all. My friend, if you've been sitting in the stands, you're badly needed down on the field. I close with, God will give you whatever you need when you obey his call for service. Clock in for work. Clock in for work. Let God use you. Let the Holy Spirit operate through you mightily. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come before the saints of God right now. I thank you for everyone that's listened to this. I pray this has been a blessing to them. It's opened up their eyes to this great truth that they, they, all of us who are in the body of Christ have been given gifts to use. Forgive us sometimes we don't set, put ourselves in a position of allowing that to operate through us. I pray all of us who are listening, we put ourselves, uh, if it's nothing else, to go out and witness more where you can now operate your gifts through us to the benefit even to the unbeliever who could come to faith in Christ. I thank you, Lord God, for all those listening that they would have a great hunger and desire to move in their spiritual gifts. I pray the walls would come down around their thinking uh, where they have seen wild, compulsive, ungodly acting uh, in regards to the spirit, that they would let that all, they would all sweep all that away and they would, through this sermon, they've gotten a clear picture of what spiritual gifts really are, that they are of God, they are of the Holy Spirit, they are perfection when they're used properly, and that they too can be used to affect the body of Christ in a great and a mighty way. It's not just for quote unquote the professionals, it's for all of us. It's not just for the person who's in ministry, it's for every person in the church. 
to be given gifts to be used to build up the body of Christ. I pray they would all clock in for work. I pray when they get up tomorrow morning, they would clock in for work and say, use me for something great today, Lord. Operate your power through my life today. Father, we thank you for these things. We praise you for all you've done in our lives and all the things you're continuing to do. Use us greatly in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen and amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you for joining me. I believe this has been a blessing to you because it was a blessing to me. And so I pray you would continue on pressing in, growing deep in the Lord, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, operating in your spiritual language and letting your spiritual gifts work through your life. Amen. Keep living strong for Christ. God bless you. Amen.